0: Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. This is another special type of podcast, different than what you're normally hearing on this channel, but it is uh, something that is near and dear to our hearts, and it is Uh, taking a look back at the golden age of Christian rock music, uh, Christian music in general, uh, the 1990s. Now, this is really a um, continuation of a conversation that started in our previous podcast, which was commemorating the life and legacy of Carmen. And so if you have not listened to that, we would encourage you to do so. But today we would like to sort of um, walk through some of the... uh, wonderful times in the 1990s that uh, Christian music was really at its height, and uh, take you down that memory lane with us. So, uh, without further ado, Dad, uh, why don't you walk us through some of this uh, history, maybe leading up into the 90s?
1: Okay, thanks, Josh. You know, as I was preparing for that previous podcast, and Carmen, it, it got me thinking that, you know, there was so much to say about his life and legacy, but you know, he was really at the height of his uh, fruitfulness in his career in the 90s, and it reminded me of the fact that really that was true for Christian music in general, contemporary Christian music, and I was a uh, pastor in the 90s, but I also worked, for some for some of that time I was an, officially the a youth and young adult pastor, but at other times I was, you know, a senior pastor, associate assistant, etc., lots of different roles, um, but basically it was like i always worked with the Mm teens and so even if i was in those other roles and so it was a real golden age like you said for christian music it was awesome to be a youth pastor in the 90s uh because christian music just kept on driving youth ministry and and really helping um youth pastors out so much as a great tool uh going from concert to concert and just Um, promoting albums and stuff like that among the youth group. It was a, it was a great time to, uh, be a youth pastor. And so I thought to kind of get us into the nineties, it's nice to lay a bit of a foundation for, um, for where Christian music kind of evolved, how it, the foundation of how it evolved into what it became in the Mm nineties. And so, uh, Josh, do you know that much about Christian music before the nineties when you were like a little boy? Uh, no.
0: Now, I am a child of the 80s. I spent a good 27 days in the 1980s, so I remember it well. But, uh, no, to be honest with you, I, I don't know much about um, the the music that preceded my life, so this will be instructive for
1: me as well. Okay. Well, the uh, the movement that we call contemporary Christian music today... Uh, The foundations of it were laid as far back as 1969. And if you were in our studio right now, you could see a record. I brought some of my old records today that I've kept through the years. Um, You would see a record called Larry Norman Upon This Rock. And you might want to Google it right now and see what the album cover is like. This is from 1969. And Larry Norman was a musician a rock musician that um, got saved in the Jesus uh, movement of the late '60s, early '70s, and he put out this album that has been called by uh, by experts the the first Christian rock album, hmm. and it was a landmark album. Uh, I listened actually to side B of it today before the podcast. It's got two songs on side B that became cover songs for um, later. Really popular Christian artists in the '90s. Uh, Rebecca St. James uh, redid his version of the sweet, sweet song of salvation, which is the track, the first track on side B. And then DC Talk famously did a, a cover of his song "I Wish We'd All Been Ready," which is a yeah. song about the rapture yeah. and about the end times. Uh, that's also on that side and. So it's really, really cool to see that, you know, this very first Christian rock album was something that um, didn't only just pave the way for a whole new genre of music, but also uh, some of the songs on it are still living on today. And so this album, even though it was called, you know, it's called Christian First Christian Rock, is kind of a precursor to the whole contemporary Christian movement. So we can trace it back to um, the, really into the 60s. and. <clears throat> so then after that uh early christian contemporary christian artists like andre crouch who mm-hmm. was a very famous uh was a very very famous gospel musician and then also um uh another another uh solo artist named leon Patello. those guys really kind of helped build things some momentum in the early part of the 70s and the mid-70s and then you had Uh, I'm not going to do, you know, this isn't an exhaustive list, but these are just some of the artists that that impacted both my wife, Nicole, and myself as we were growing up, um, even as Christians in the 80s. And then in the late 70s, two things really broke. Uh, Two artists really uh, came on the scene that really, really propelled Christian music music forward. And, of course, one of them was Keith Green, who I alluded to in the last um, podcast as my favorite Christian artist of all time. He put on a number of albums in the late 70s. One of them I'm looking at right now that's been a super impactful album for me in my uh, life. It's called No Compromise. Uh, The song is Sleep in the Light, which you referenced last time in the last podcast, Josh, which is, we think, the most convicting song in contemporary Christian music of any. So powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, That album was put out. And then you also had around the same time in the late 70s, A teenage girl named Amy Grant (laughs) who burst onto the scenes. And between Amy and Keith, you had uh, this whole male-female dynamic going on in contemporary Christian music that just launched and propelled uh, Christian music forward big time. In those uh, late 70s, early 80s years, you also had uh, another solo artist named David Meese who put out some amazingly popular albums and amazing really amazing albums in the late 70s early 80s as well that impacted me i'm looking at an album right now by one of the early big time groups in uh in christian music yeah. back then called the imperials and i remember the imperials uh a couple of their songs or at least one of the songs was a song that was sang at our wedding hmm. and um uh, and they were a big-time band back then, too. One of their members, Russ Taff, I'm looking at the album right now, but he has super long uh, 80s hair. And mm-hmm. he's he's done some, he did some concerts, you know, he has still does concerts. And he sang it at uh, your church, Josh. <laughs> like, I've, I've heard him sing at your church. Yeah, yeah, crazy. <laughs> Not too long ago, you know, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so... Uh, These early artists really paved the way for what was going to become the contemporary Christian movement. And um, in the early 80s, I remember back growing up in Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada, one of the things that they had back then was roller skating, not rollerblading, but four-wheel roller skates. And once a week they had Christian roller skating at Mm. Lloyd's Roller Rink in South Calgary, McLeod Trail, if any of you are listening, uh, you uh, that remember that you should really message us about that because I'd love to hear from you. But with Christian Orska, I remember one time they debuted an album in those early '80s. A song from it from a, this new, brand new artist who was going, on, who was opening for Amy Grant's tour. And this is a concert tour that actually my wife Nicole went on, or didn't didn't, didn't go on, but got to see. To. It was Michael W. Smith. Yeah. And so you start finding these people that still have careers now even, uh, you know, emerging in the in those early and mid 80s years. I remember uh Christian Rollers came to that song. Me and my friend were talking, hey, we never heard this guy before, but we sure like his music. Sure. And of course, his legacy is uh he's still going strong now into the 2020s, so it's yes. pretty enduring. Um, and then you know, as the '80s moved along, you had uh, you had people you know like Carmen's career started in the '80s, and you had a number of different careers too that did, like for example, the band Petra uh, before John Schlitt became their lead singer. He, they were um, they started in the '80s, and and then you had you know a, a hard rock band like Striper in the '80s start, and these sorts of things. But then as the '90s uh, Came along, and as the turn of the decade happened, yeah, that's really when just this um, amazing kind of conglomeration of super groups and uh, super individuals really started either coming on the scene or uh, mm-hmm. hitting their stride and and getting you know going towards the climax of their careers. Yeah, so here I am, early '90s. Uh, preparing for ministry, <clears throat> start working with teens. And all of a sudden, these are the bands that are getting going. Right. And the artists. Right. You've got Petra. I already referenced them. Yes. Uh, they were popular in the 80s. But when John Schlitt became their lead singer, uh, their their uh, popularity became enormous. Mm. And they were like a, a heavier, a harder driving rock and roll uh, band back then and they but they're huge uh then you had this band that um you know this little band called dc talk that i remember in 1990 when i was finishing seminary they put out their first uh album and it was all rap and uh these are three guys from liberty university mm-hmm. and they um and that album i thought you know it was it was good it was a cassette i remember the cassette listened to it, it was good but then um that's when they start to emerge on the scene Mm -hmm. and then you then their second album uh new thing became a real breakthrough album for them and then it it just got bigger and bigger from there audio adrenaline started right around the same time in the right around the turn of that decade and they of course became huge uh the newsboys from down under australia they became uh another super group of the 90s and they they're both audio adrenaline and and um and Newsboys still exist today. And wow. I'll maybe talk about that as we get closer to the end of the podcast because they're still, DC Talk and those two other supergroups still have a real relationship that, um, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Around the mid-90s, you had Jars of Clay mm-hmm. come along and that they became an enormous uh, supergroup uh, in the 90s as well. And that was kind of interesting. Sorry,
0: go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in fact, the first concert I ever went to was with you in Saskatoon, <laughs> yeah, DC Talk, Jars right. of Clay. And uh, It's Supernatural uh, was the DC Talk album for that tour. And and I still remember that um, uh, to this day, you know, decades later. And it, it, those were some of my favorite bands.
1: I was going to ask you if you did remember that, Josh, because that that's an amazing thing. You've got literally... I, you could you know argue you got DC Talk which was the biggest band of uh, Christian band of all time you'd, you'd say. Uh they're kind of like the Beatles of Christian music. And then you've got Jars of Clay which was absolutely at the height of their popularity. Mm-hmm. Too. They came to play at Saskatchewan Place in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Wild. And it was like it wasn't in the summertime so it was a bit I don't think. Well, maybe. Anyway, the point is this is Saskatoon we're talking about. Yeah. It's off the beaten track. And you've got these two top bands coming in there. It was like this, we we couldn't believe, you know, as a youth pastor, this was just like, Jesus, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to get all these uh, teens in our ministry and young adults out to like, who wouldn't want to come to this? And everyone did. And I think we, we just loaded up a full bus or maybe even more than that. It was amazing. Um, and then you've got these individual artists. The biggest individual artists pretty much in Christian music history, too, were all at the heights of their career then. Hmm. Uh, you've got, uh, we have re- did a whole podcast on Carmen. Mm-hmm. He owned the 90s, you know, in terms of the biggest concerts of all, Christian concerts of all time. Yeah, You've got um, Michael W. Smith. The, the 80s were huge for him, but the 90s were even more huge. Right, And he was going, uh, he was, you know, performing at uh, Billy Graham Crusades, Um that were still going on and franklin graham crusades Mm -hmm. and and uh he he was just a huge artist back then as well uh you've got amy grant was interesting she uh was the queen of christian music of course ever since she started off in the late 70s yeah when the 90s hit she had an idea that she'd like to try crossing over into secular music Hmm. uh or onto a secular label at least and and uh and so she did that, and she tried that, and she had some real crossover success with some of her albums as well, with the um, Heart of Gold album and um, or Heart in Motion album, pardon me, and uh, and that was that was an interesting phenomenon how Christian's artists be, had become so popular and so big that the bigger ones were willing to take that step and cross over, and that kind of set the tone for for Jars of Clay because they had a lot of crossover success too huh. uh, back. Uh, when they were starting out as well. So there was that kind of phenomenon there where to greater le- or lesser extent, some of the big Christian bands were crossing over into sure. secular uh, labels and secular music too. Um, Stephen Curtis Chapman, he, he started off in the early 90s as well, and he became this enormous, enduring uh, solo artist as mm-hmm. well back then. Mm-hmm. So you had all these uh, these solo artists and bands, mm-hmm. uh, that were just, um, larger than life for, for the, for, you know, Christians in general. Right. And I think that, you know, again, we referenced that concert that you went to the jars of clay DC talk concert. Mm-hmm. Like how, how is that even possible in Saskatoon? But it mm-hmm. was, it happened. Um, you had, <clears throat> uh, you had, um, there were multiple times while well, I was pastoring in the province of Saskatchewan, which is a, a huge piece of land in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Like it's enormous in size, but the population was less than a million people right. in the whole province. And so it's, it's a really sparsely populated place. But these Christian bands and artists kept coming through there. You know, we saw Petra there. We saw all these bands that I referenced. We, yeah. we saw them uh, sometimes multiple times. Uh, in Saskatchewan, of all places, it was Crazy. it was really interesting. Uh, so the Christian, but see, what drove these artists was they didn't. This is such a such a wonderful and unique thing that shows their hearts for ministry. That yeah. they weren't only playing these um, large venues, and they weren't always playing these um, these you know huge cities. Yeah, they were going to places like Saskatoon. Mm. And they were packing out arenas and packing out churches there. Why? Because they had a heart for ministry. Mm. And because they had a heart for edifying teens and really people of all ages and a heart for souls. Um, It was wonderful. It -hmm. was truly wonderful. There were Christian music festivals uh, that were popular back then. I think that one of the... I remember emceeing a Christian music festival in Manitoba once. And you came along, Josh. Remember, That's, I do, <laughs> I do. And that, that was actually where another
0: popular band, really of the two thousands, got yes. started, which is a band called Skillet. That's right. And um, and they also, uh, I yeah, I remember being just you know a young boy, uh, backstage with Skillet. And you know what's what's cool about these bands too is their, in many ways, their longevity. Um, you know, we talked about that with Carmen on that podcast. But you know, some of these guys, Michael W. Smith, still to this day, I would say, is one of the most popular names in Christian yeah. music. Mm-hmm. And we're talking literally like 40 years after he got started. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't always happen. And and you know, you can see like like I don't know if you look at the secular world. Like I know that Rolling Stones still performs concerts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you got some of these bands from the 70s and the 80s that are still performing. And, and you really had that longevity with some of these guys. You know, Newsboys, they're still one of the most popular bands in Christian music today. And, um, and so these guys, you know, it's hard. It's, honestly, it's hard to think about real popular bands in the 2000s yeah. even being current now. Um, but these bands yeah. that got their starts, you know, in the late 80s and in the, in the early 90s even, they still
1: have, um, you know, appeal today, which is really quite something. It's amazing, and I mean, it's a real testimony to the anointing of God in their lives, and also the fact that, you know, those, pe- those people that you referenced, they, they haven't had any, any moral failures or, mm-hmm. you know, financial failures or whatever you might call it. Uh, they have been, uh, you know, they've been true, true to their calling and, and just good in character, and uh, yeah. that's really a big sign to their enduring um, popularity. You kind of referenced a, a, a topic that I wanted to move into now, because it's so interesting to see how the spirit of God moves and how Jesus is, is obviously Jesus is right. I mean, he's, he's God. Uh, but he, you know, he tells that, us that one uh, teaching about the Holy spirit, how the spirit, you know, blows as he wills kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. we can't, we can't control him. Uh, we can uh, the Holy spirit has his way sovereignly in the world. And it's like, it seems like, you know, there was this movement that started in the 60s, late 60s mm-hmm. with the Jesus movement and moved through the 70s into the 80s and really peaked in the 90s. Right. And, you know, as, as a youth pastor, I was like, I just kind of thought or assumed maybe that this was just going to keep going on forever and, and the bands were, that were big then are going to just spawn even bigger bands, uh-huh. you know. But <clears throat> it was really interesting because as I look back on this, Right around the end of the decade, or uh-huh. right around the turn of the millennium, uh, year 2000, an amazing phenomenon happened. Well, I guess I would say it this way. What happened was DC Talk, the biggest of them all, yeah. they decided to, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a breakup so much as they just decided to retire. stop... Yeah, retire. Start doing solo stuff, Mm -hmm. which they all did. Yeah. And they stopped putting out group studio albums. Yeah. And uh, that was, I think, surprising for a lot of people because they were only together as a band for around 10 years, uh, which is, you know, again, it was a short time, just like the Beatles were around for only a short time, but had a big impact. Um, And Kevin Max and Toby Mac and... uh, Michael Tate and Michael Tate, they they had really launched you know successful solo careers, and now to this day, as you referenced, Ke- Michael Tate is now the lead singer of the Newsboys. Yes, and they're still going strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin Max is now the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline. Yeah, wild. And they're still going strong, and uh, they're still doing songs and concerts, you know, from the '90s and and of course, Beyond Two. And so those supergroups live on kind of being, in a way, pollinated by the DC Talk legacy. Right. You know? And then, of course, Toby Mac, he's a, an incredible, puts out his own incredible music still that's super popular and mm-hmm. also is a producer uh, of, of, you know, really a mentor for the the many Christian artists today. Yeah. So, but when DC Talk uh, broke up in the late in the in the early 2000s um, Carmen for example who we referenced in the last podcast he most of his studio career stopped uh, re- around the year two thousand two it didn't mean he stopped he didn't stop touring that's for sure, sure. but and he did he did continue to do compilation albums and and uh, maybe some specialty albums and stuff but but that kind of stopped too and and you know as I look back on this because I was a <clears throat> i was a You know, pastor at a large church in Canada in the late 90s. Yeah. And it was a great church. Had so much good fruit up there. And I remember leading, I was leading three different worship teams at that church at the same time. And something happened in the late 90s Mm -hmm. that we started uh, recognizing that there was this little church from down under Mm -hmm. that uh, some of you might uh, know as Hillsong. They started putting out music. Yeah, I remember Darlene Check's song "Shout to the Lord," which came out in the late '90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember we started doing that song, and then more of their songs started pouring into our uh, worship team sets. And by the end of the 2000 or by the end of that the '90s, you had an interesting, interesting phenomenon happen that in that turn of the century. Mm-hmm as i reflect on it it's like the holy spirit decided in his sovereignty that he was going to that that the age of performance christian music Mm -hmm. was going to decrease and the age of worship music was going to increase Mm
0: -hmm.
1: they're both in the same genre and really styles of music in a lot of ways uh they're both they're they're all kind of contemporary christian music uh modern certainly but that uh was so interesting for me to watch and now reflect back on mm-hmm. because right around the same time that Hillsong, uh which is you know is worship music it's not performance music yes their bands their bands toured around you know we, we you have you went to some of the united concerts you know later on when you're a teenager and, mm-hmm. and such but the music itself was worship music. It wasn't primarily performance music. Yeah. And the whole, you know, 30-plus year um, evolution of contemporary Christian music that was kind of a uh, performance-oriented style where people would go to concerts to see the bands, that really started to decrease. Mm-hmm. And then the whole worship um, genre just exploded. Yeah. And I mean, we we're still living in that era today. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's super it's super cool to watch, and it's super cool to be part of. But it's just so fascinating to me, as a veteran of decades of mm-hmm. watching Christian music evolve, yeah. that there was this kind of really almost an abrupt sort of ending mm. to the uh, '90s uh, the the whole um, the whole Golden age of performance Christian music. And I yeah. don't use performance in a negative way. Right. I don't, I, I, we all, they were always point, the artists were always pointing people to Jesus. But in terms of participation, it was, it was a different thing. Yeah. You went to a concert to hear Amy Grant sing or to see the newsboys perform. Mm-hmm. When you went to a, a Hail Song concert, whether it's United or something else, and now the modern iterations of that, and the way that that's evolved into with Bethel and, and others, <clears throat> you go there knowing that you're going to be participating. Mm-hmm. Those songs are meant for you to sing along to and be actively worshiping Jesus with. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying that one's better or one's worse. It's not that. Sure. It's just that they're they're different. And the Holy Spirit understood that 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 season of performance-oriented super groups and super individuals, that was for a season. Yeah. And man, what a great season it was. Amen. Uh, Nicole and I, we got super blessed and edified as we both came to know Jesus in the 80s and and then through the 90s, uh, that whole that whole music, contemporary Christian music then, it built us up so much. And any child of the 80s or 90s that grew up as a Christian then, they're going to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But now it's like, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's like, who are, where are the super groups now? Um, uh, who are the super groups mm-hmm. now? Uh, what are they doing? Well, the, some of them are still out there, but um, their their influence breed. is different. Yeah. Well, and
0: and you even see, like, you know, you take Michael W. Smith for example. He he transitioned in many ways to doing worship. Yeah. For example. Um, And one of the cool things you have seen with the worship age is, you know, it's really rather than individual bands, it's churches and their worship teams. Like Hillsong is a church that started producing their music and Bethel's the same Jesus culture and elevation and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, and, and I think it's positive in the sense that it's encouraging um, people to be involved in church mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. be involved in their worship bands and to produce their music in that way but we do certainly um, have great memories from uh from the the 90s of christian music uh, i i had so many of these <laughs> bands that you've mentioned today you know their their cds or their posters on my walls and um, you know loved loved uh, growing up with these guys that always had such really positive music. And like you said, um, these were honorable people, you know, yeah. men and women of integrity that, uh, for, for the most part, um, you know, just d- didn't have any, <laughs> any negative. Thing. I mean, I think about it really probably the biggest scandal amongst these people was that Amy Grant got a divorce, um, from her husband yeah. and then married, you know, another, another, another guy. And, and if you said that now, people wouldn't think twice about it. Now, they should. You know, divorce is wrong regardless of what the culture says. But um, I just think about how, how, you know, it almost speaks to the time when that was the biggest scandal, that somebody had like an amic- am- amicable divorce with their husband. And, um, and yet, you know, because of these people's uh, integrity and everything, much like Carmen— uh, their music continues to be a blessing to us uh, today, and so I don't know, Dad. As you, as we, you know, wrap this up, any closing thoughts you want to have regarding this this
1: golden age of Christian music? It's interesting you reference Amy Grant because her her when she got remarried, her husband Vince Gill and her. Uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but they actually, I don't. I guess maybe they don't live here now or near here now. I, I don't. But at some point they apparently they live pretty close to to where we live right now Hmm. when we moved down here we found that out but that was interesting but here's the thing you you know it's just god has always used music always used music to um glorify him and to do great great exploits in the world amen and i think that the uh the interesting thing for me is as we look back and kind of I, I look back nostalgically on this now is that you know it's just so cool to see the holy spirit doing a new thing like right. dc talk second album talked right. about um he's there was that era and it's hard to even you know when we look at things now it's hard to even think that that era even existed to some extent but mm-hmm. you know 20 a little over 20 years ago man there were just some of these bands and some of these performers were just really larger than life in sure. a good way. Right. They just had a really big platform for Jesus and they used it well. And, uh and then the Holy Spirit's like, you know what? This was, this, this season is done now. We're moving to a different time. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, I, I, I remember when that happened in the early two thousands, I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. It's like, I blinked and, the nineties were gone. Mm-hmm. The, the super groups and the super solo artists were gone or they were, they were eclipsed, I guess, not gone, but they'd either evolved themselves in their music or they were eclipsed by the modern worship music. Yeah. Worship age, as you called it so well, the worship age. And guess what? Both of them are great yeah. and good. And we celebrate and we're involved in all of them. Amen. But uh, as I, I'm thankful that I was a youth pastor in the nineties. Yeah. Because uh, there, contemporary Christian music back then was a time that I, who knows? I mean, if the Holy spirit wants it back, we'll get it back. But at this point it doesn't look like uh, we haven't had, we haven't had those times for over 20 years now, Mm. but um we just want uh, to thank, you know, all of those artists that we've referenced today because yeah. each of those artists that I've referenced has had a uh, really good, uh, positive, and in some cases very significant impact on my life and the life of my wife, Nicole, as well as our, you know, you guys, you, you boys. You guys, boys grew up with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you, Jesus, for contemporary Christian music. Yeah. What it was and what it is now and we're looking forward to what it will be amen so
0: there you go amen yeah well that was a great trip down memory lane reflecting upon the golden age of christian music in the 1990s hope you enjoyed it and look if, forward to uh,
1: and if they have any mem- if you have any memories of christian music in the 90s uh hey message us on the podcast because we'd love to interact with you on that absolutely awesome well you guys have a great day we'll talk to you again soon Thank you for
0: listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at God bless.